helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Ethridge. Welcome, everybody, to the Disciple First Podcast. My name is Craig Etheridge. I'm your host, and I'm here with Kenan Vaughn. Kenan Vaughn is a founder of Downline Ministries. And Downline seeks to encourage and restore biblical discipleship in and through the local church. Uh, now, uh, after nine years, he has over 40 churches in Memphis County that are using Downline Ministry Institute uh, as a means of equipping their pastors and leaders. Nearly over 200 pastors and lay leaders trained each year. Uh, Ken and his family reside in Memphis, and uh, he also is the lead pastor at Harvest church, and um, so I'm excited to talk about uh, this idea of creating a culture of disciple-making in your church, and so I know you're going to be really excited to hear from Kenan uh, today. Thank you for your download, and be sure to tell people about the Disciple First podcast. So, Kenan, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Craig. Excited to be with you. Yeah, man, it's always great to hang out with you and, and excited about how you're so much a part of our Flashpoint Conference and uh, just appreciate all the work that you do in disciple-making in the church, man. Thanks, brother. Hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about creating a culture of disciple-making. I know that you taught recently on that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's just start off with defining what do you mean by culture? Yeah, well, I think when something becomes the predominant culture uh, in any given context, it it means it's the norm. At least that's the way I mean it in in the context of saying creating a healthy culture, that it's something that people do uh, or or, uh, have the opportunity to be engaged in, involved in, without having to uh, be the outlier or go find it or go create something on the side or, or go find this arm of ministry that no one else knows about or exists. It's just kind of what we do. It's who we are. And when something becomes the norm, it becomes a part of your DNA, it becomes part of who you are, at that point, it's it's your, it's your a part of your culture. And so we want disciple-making, uh, the idea of, of uh, just as Titus 2 says, and as we see modeled in the life of Christ in the New Testament and then throughout the early church, we want the older men uh, pouring their lives into the younger men and uh, sharing their faith and uh, when folks are coming to Christ, we want uh, uh, more mat- more mature Christians to immediately grab hold of them and begin to raise them in the faith, and godly women pouring into the younger women. And so we are doing everything we can to cast that vision to our people, define what we mean by disciple-making, um, train and equip, as Ephesians 4 says, the, the, uh, the, the, the folks to do the work of the ministry. And I think that's the point of our job as the church staff. And, and so a culture I think we, we see is when – that's what, quote-unquote, everybody's doing. If you come to our church for a month, you're probably going to have uh, some folks asked to get to know you, to go get a lunch, to hear your story, because folks are interested in where you are in your walk with the Lord, if you even have one, and helping you along to go further. Yeah, now, you know, that is not the culture in many churches, right? That's right. Uh, and, and why do you think that is? Well, I think it's part of just the the... Uh, trajectory that the church has been on, and uh, boy, there's a lot of studies I've looked at and give a whole lot of different reasons and times frames, but it, generally speaking, in the last 30 years especially, it seems like in evangelicalism, we have gotten gotten real excited about the benefits of the megachurch, and I think there are some benefits. There's a lot of energy, and there's a, a, an ability for a lot of people to hear some great teaching by very gifted 
men and those kind of things. But I think when you get large churches where it's hard for people to be known and you get uh, great teachers, which uh, subtly makes everyone else think they can't teach, they just, they're just they a listener only. And, of course, the Word tells us not to be merely listeners but doers of the Word. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes we can easily become consumers. And we have a culture. If you want to define stereotypically at large the modern American evangelical culture, it would be one of consumer Christianity. It would be one where uh, we're church attenders. In fact, some of us pride ourselves far too much on that. Um, but uh, there's there's a, a, an impetus on being in church and uh, and that being equated to spiritual maturity far more than being engaged in someone's life and actually discipling, which is the, the great commission that, that Jesus Christ called his followers to adhere their lives to. So I think we've we've fallen into a consumer Christianity when when Jesus's model was far more of a, a journey where you are always following and learning so that you could make others of the same kind. Right, absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's well said. And uh, so, if if I want to transition my church to be disciple making, or if I want to create this culture, uh, what's what's the first thing I need to do? Well, if you're talking from the perspective of a pastor or an elder or senior staff or leader, that kind of a, uh, someone of that kind of position in the church. And I think the first thing you need to do is to make sure you are indeed making disciples. I uh, just have talked with so many uh, in part of my, the joy of my job with Downline, trying to be a support for local churches that are really desiring to be more about disciple making. It's just the recognition that it always really starts with the senior pastor and then the rest of the staff around him or the rest of the elders or depending on the governance of that church, really the key leaders. If if they're not living it out, A, they're not giving a model for anybody else. I mean, they're, they're the leaders, meaning we're following them. And if they're not living lives that model making disciples, then, then no one else really has a clue how to do it. And uh, the second thing is if you get the senior leadership of a church, senior pastor and, and staff, if they're making disciples, inevitably they will be passionate about it. They will be mm-hmm. talking about it. They will be discipling men and women who will catch a vision for discipling other men and women. And even just from that one senior pastor discipling six or seven guys who begin to disciple others, there will be a multiplying effect even within a church body. So I almost, and I don't want to overstate this, but when a senior pastor and senior staffers are not discipling, it's very difficult to have a healthy culture of discipleship. If they yeah. are discipling, it's very difficult not to. Like you're going to have a guy that's in the staff around him that are passionate about living, following Christ in this way with, with flesh on it. Everyone will see that. It becomes tangible. It becomes reproducible. The vision is constantly being cast, and uh, and then you got then you got a great. You're going in a great direction. Now now some pastors struggle with this. I mean we're good at preaching. I call it the three P's: pe- preaching. Uh, pastoral care and program management, but we're not that great at, right. at disciple making. Why? Why do you think no. that? Is? Well, most of us, and, and look, I've, I I want to throw myself in the loop with all pastors. I think there's at least two main reasons that come to mind. Well, three that come to mind. One is many of us have never been discipled, and I had the privilege of, of being discipled by a man named Sue Campbell, and a really uh, just uh, sensitive season in my life, God knew right where I was and put this godly man uh, from the hood in Memphis in my life. And he took me under his wing, treated me as a son, uh, taught me the word of God, spent unbelievable amounts of time inviting me into his life. And literally it was kind of a, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. But many pastors have never had that. And, And so frankly, just like anyone else, 
they have all kind of biblical knowledge, but they just they just feel a little awkward. Kind of feel like a giraffe on ice when it comes to uh, getting somebody across the table and, and doing life with them and inviting them in and being transparent and vulnerable. And you know, and a lot of people are uncomfortable around the pastor. You know, the pastor gets put up on a pedestal and. And uh, and it could be a little awkward. You got to break through that and become a real person uh, with real struggles. So number one, I, I don't think pastors uh, oftentimes have, have experienced a model. Number two, it's not what we're trained to do. Uh, if you go to any kind of seminary to be trained, there's very little. You might get a you know an extracurricular class on discipleship, um, but you know what you're going to be heavy emphasis is going to be on what you just talked about preaching and pastoral care, which, by the way, I'm, I think are very important. Uh, mm-hmm. Those aren't the areas that are, I think are going missing predominantly in the church today. Uh, but, the, you know, Jesus, and I, I love to say this, I love to dwell on this, to remember this myself, he was a great preacher, and he was great at caring for folks. But the heartbeat of his ministry, he did not, he did not build the ministry around his synagogue preaching. Uh, he, he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't trust that that, that would build a, a worldwide multiplying movement of the gospel. Um, he he preached faithfully and uh, and constantly, but it was all a part of the training of the twelve, uh, as A. B. Bruce talks about in his in his classic book. That he was everything he did was a part of ultimately ultimately multiplying the gospel in a few. So I think pastors hadn't seen it; they haven't uh, been trained to do it. And then and then finally, a third one is uh, there's so many demands, and I know there's many demands on on all of us, uh, not just pastors, but. There's so many demands. The Sundays keep coming, and there are our staff asking what to do, and there are different areas, and, and there's oversight that's needed, and there's staff training and staff development, and you might even have pastoral residents who are trying to teach how to lead and preach and run programs. And, and I mean, there are there are so many demands on a pastor's life that often the pastor will say, you know what, this, me using my gifts in the body and leading in this way is my contribution to the corporate discipleship of our body. And while I think there's some truth in that, certainly that is a true statement. I just, I just, I lament that that's as far as we go. I think the most important thing the pastor can do is set the pace on personally discipling. We're asking lawyers and coaches and homemakers, teachers, doctors, everyone in our body. We're saying, hey, have a full-time job, but somehow as a lifestyle, in the midst of a family and a full-time job. Don't forsake the call of Jesus to give your life away for the sake of the gospel and disciple-making. So we need to model that very thing, full-time job, family, and yet we still have a lifestyle where we're, where we're making disciples like Jesus made disciples. Boy, that is well said because uh, we, we got to got to be the example. And, uh, and, and honestly, our full-time job you know, is, is easy to accommodate just because it's yeah. part of it. And That's so fine. we're glad for that. So you talk a little bit about you know in your seminar about the importance of the pastor uh yes. setting the pace in this culture but you also talk a little bit about making disciple making a uncompromised priority but what does uh-huh. that look like yeah i think that um you know your church uh you could you could visit a church craig for a month you could go four sundays and you could probably have a pretty good idea what they're about just by sitting in the back and seeing um, what they talk about, what they celebrate, uh, what kind of the common themes are, what the people are excited about. Um, and so when I talk about making disciple-making an uncompromised priority, uh, I'm, I'm saying several things. You know, Number one, we're going to continue to clearly and consistently define what it means to make disciples. Like if it's just a series, you know, once every third year, 
then that's not gonna it's not gonna it be as helpful as we'd hope. That we have mm-hmm. to constantly Sunday by Sunday. You know, we have a little tagline at Harvest. We talk about being a gospel-driven, disciple-making church. That that we want to pour in the gospel into every system in our church because the gospel drives us outward. It drives us to look beyond ourselves into the lives of others. It produces compassion in us. But we, I mean, we talk about that phrase and what it means every Sunday morning. Like somebody, an elder at the beginning of the service, wound into the message when we're giving closing announcements. And then we put video to it. We just have a lot of a lot of stories are going to be told about how folks' lives have been ruined by the gospel and how they've got a perspective for giving their lives away and how God's brought others into life and how they're making an impact now by discipling, what discipling looks like in their life. So if somebody just came as an innocent bystander to our church for four weeks, I hope they'd leave four weeks later and go, man, there's the idea in this place that the gospel moves you to give your life away, specifically in making disciples. And I kind of understand what disciples what making disciples looks like because I keep seeing videos and I keep meeting people talking about it and people keep asking me if I want to hang out and like I get what these people think this is about and uh, and so an uncompromised party we're going to talk about it we're going to celebrate and then we're going to equip our people uh, and especially our leaders so at Harvest we've taken a uh, we've basically invited those that we see a, a, a level of spiritual maturity in their lives they're you know they're they've been faithful over time they're faithful husbands and wives and parents and in their job and they have an integrity in Christ and we take those and we say look we want to make sure we don't get this backwards we don't want we want to make sure you guys don't become the cheerleaders as we do the ministry and we have a very small army ministering to a very large body we want to be the cheerleaders and the equippers you guys be the ministry hands and feet and we can minister to it we have we can release a huge army to minister to the masses and so we want to every month we do uh, a luncheon just for our leaders where we're constantly pouring in training to them on how to better disciple. We're letting them share stories about what's going on in their discipleship communities, which is kind of our small group structure. And uh, and we're sharing stories. We're sharing struggles. We're asking questions. We're just talking about it out loud. Uh, we're continually producing tools as a staff that they could use to disciple. So if you know any of our leaders understand what what the standard is, what's expected, not in a regimented legalistic way but in a, in a way that what is what is how is success defined at our church well it's when we're really when we're really a body of Christ that looks like Christ like we love each other we love other people and we make disciples and mm-hmm. so we want our leaders to set the pace our staff equips our leaders and so we celebrate it we talk about it uh, we equip our leaders to do it and um, that that's what i mean by keeping it as an uncompromised priority yeah absolutely and you know that takes effort doesn't it because over the course of time, if you get distracted on other things, then then that laser focus begins to fade out. How do you keep it center stage and and not start yeah. off doing it but then fade? Yeah, well, it's a good question, and and to be honest, Harvest Church is just a little over two years old, and and uh, and so I'll probably have to answer that question in the coming decades. But uh, yeah. but as, you know, I, one of my heroes is Robert Coleman, wrote Master Plan of Evangelism, and. And uh, Dr. Dr. Coleman's always telling me, uh, you know, you really got to protect uh, your core. And he said, your core is it's the it's the it's where the deep seated DNA of who you are is, and the leaders that are living that out. And he said there'll be all kind of trends, there'll be all kind of fads, uh, there'll be some good things and some you know some good waves and some some not so good waves. He said, but you always got to have a group of people that you're accountable to and accountable with to say, are we still about? What the Church of Jesus Christ is to be about. Uh, we so in our staff, in, among our elders, and among our 
uh, leadership monthly meetings, what, what we are always going to revolve our talk around is uh, how effective are we as a gospel-driven, disciple-making church? Like the we that'll the uh, the the plumb line of success will never veer mm-hmm. from that question. Like the methods may change, uh, the principles will never change. Like you know we'll we'll judge everything else that we get excited about by is it helping us to be more understanding of and appreciative of and driven by the gospel to be more effective making disciples. Like we just want to establish that vision, and we I feel like we've been establishing it for these first two years, and now we want to vehemently protect it, and we're asking our leaders to help us protect it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, also part of this creating this culture, you talk a lot about equipping parents yep. to be disciple makers. So what do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think, uh, I believe disciple, discipleship starts in the home. I think that God really created two institutions for making disciples. Uh, first is the home, and, and then is the church. In Old and New Testament, we see this, Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6. It's clearly uh, the parents' first priority to disciple those that God has given you as your children, and the stewardship of that is is everywhere in Scripture. And so we want to, uh, as the church, again, what's our responsibility? It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we have a real responsibility to equip parents to make disciples in their homes, and especially dads. I mean, certainly dads and single moms, but my heart just aches for dads as I've, um, I am one. I've got four little boys and been around dads for the last 15 years in ministry and just watch dads, for the most part, have no clue uh, how to disciple their, their kids. Literally, just to, even the ones that – many dads are checked out or, or caught up climbing a corporate ladder or chasing other things, but even those that go, hey, I really want to pour into my kids – I don't have any game plan. I don't have any blueprint. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like as the church, my goodness, I hope that we are right there literally holding shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, saying, okay, we're going to do this together. And so we have little sayings in our church. We, we want to put the ball on a tee for dads. We want to secure the bat firmly in their hands, get their yeah. feet in the right stance, and just say, hey, man, just swing. And so the way we do that is, again, we talk about discipleship in the home. We celebrate it with videos. We have Sunday school classes on it. We do seminars on it uh, almost monthly just for parents in different seasons of life. Our elders teach those. Through discipleship being such a strong priority, you're you're around godly men. You're getting one-offs and coffees, and you've got at least one or two men in your life, if you're a dad, that, that have been there, done that, that can help you. And then we produce tools. So, like, we do a weekly devotional. This is just one example. Our, our family ministries are incredible at this. But uh, we produce a weekly devotional. Every um, every Monday we send out a little family devo. It probably takes 15 or 20 minutes to do, and it's with the upcoming text, whatever's going to be preached the next Sunday. And the dad, we just say, hey, one night this week uh, around the dinner table, um, follow this outline. And he reads the text. There's a few follow-up questions. Uh, you know, answers are kind of there in italics. He gets to be the first one to teach this text to his children, uh, to get them thinking on it and praying about what God's word means in their lives this week and what what God's saying to them. There's a little country they pray for. They look it up on a prayer cast and they get to watch a video and Dad leads them in a prayer for that country. Again, as long as he's not 100% passive, he gets to begin stepping into spiritual leadership in his home. He's learning the Bible as he's teaching them. And then they come on Sundays, and everything we're teaching, and all it's K through 12 and from the pulpit, is on what Dad's introduced them to. And so we're further massaging those truths into their heart that, that Dad has introduced them to in the home. So that's one tool, uh, one example of how we want to uh, help dads to – and I, I say dads, obviously 
dads and moms, we think dads got a specific role of spiritual leadership where there is a father in the home, and uh, we want to honor that and really challenge dads to step up and lead. Uh, but we want to we want to see parents. There's no parent, me included. My goodness, none of us are going to do it perfectly. I I don't even know if I'm batting 500 on this deal, but we want to we want to go down swinging. We want to be incredibly intentional, make the best investment of our lives in the truth of the gospel the most intentional investment in our children, and pray like crazy that God will turn the lights on in their lives. Yeah, and I tell you what, with an engaged dad like that, uh, the odds are really good that God's going to speak through them and and create that. I love love what you said, uh, God created two places for disciple-making, two institutions, Uh the home and the church. I just, Uh it's a great picture, it's a great, uh, great takeaway. What what would you say uh, to the pastor listening that says, I really want to create this culture, um, any any practical thing? I mean, we've covered a lot already, but anything yeah. uh, on your heart that you would encourage that pastor to do? Yeah, I, w- I would just, um, in, uh, I, I say this with in the most humble tone uh, possible. I'm, I'm still a young man and a young pastor, and, uh, and I, I defer to the wisdom of many pastors on how to do this. I would just be grateful for their desire. If God impresses upon them a desire to, really get serious about making disciples and to lead the way. Again, number one, uncompromisable. That pastor's got to say, all right, I'm going to return to disciple-making in my own personal ministry. I'm going to grab a few. I'm going to minister to the masses faithfully. I'm going to preach, pray, pastoral care, manage programs, everything you said. But I'm going to have a couple guys that I'm going to say, hey, in a very intentional way, I would love to invite you guys into my life to meet regularly, to figure out what's going on. And this may be from guys a pastor leads to Christ at the gym as he's working out. It may be some young guys in his church that are new believers. It may be some older guys that are leaders already that he knows could quickly multiply and, 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 and help start a movement. That's all up to the pastor's conviction and, and uh, leading by the Holy Spirit. But uh, just one story, I, I, I talked with a pastor in Memphis who is a theological giant in our city, and I love him. He's a mentor of me in the scriptures, and I was talking to him 10 years ago when I was first founding Downline, didn't know what I was doing, but just had this passion from the Lord on seeing disciple-making really become front and center in the church again. And and I asked him what they were doing at, his, at the church he pastored, and he ultimately looked at me in silence. And after a long period of silence, he said, you know, this is the most convicting conversation I've had in years. And I didn't know what to say. I just kind of said, why is that? And And this theological giant who just hammers out the word every week and is so respected in our city, he goes, you know, I used to make disciples. And to hear that that acknowledgement from him, like like back in college, I was involved in college ministry. I was leading guys to Christ and discipling them and taking on summer projects, and like I was I was I was going gangbusters. And the duties and responsibilities of pastoral ministry had kind of strangled out my first love. And this man in tears said, he just thanked me. He said, I, I just got to get back to leading the way. And so for a pastor really to have his, you know, some kind of repentance before the Lord on kind of thank you for this wake up call. I want to I want to I want to go back to this. If he just starts discipling, he doesn't even have to make a great formal presentation or announcement. It will it will absolutely gain traction and steam and everyone will notice. Of course, beyond that, I would beyond that, I would encourage a pastor to talk to his staff about just what the Lord's placed on his heart and to teach them what this means, to model it before them, to get them Making disciples, if there's if there's elders or uh, senior staff, same thing. So I just think starting from the inside out and just quietly setting the pace mm-hmm. and uh, let, letting that uh, produce the witness that'll that'll grow in the body. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for being with us today, and thank you for being a champion 
of yeah. disciple making and being in the trenches, uh, yeah. doing it in your local church and encouraging all of us to to do a better job at that. And listen, you may you may be listening to Ken and saying, "Man, how do I get more information like this?" Because it's so helpful. Listen, go to flashpointconference.com. Flashpointconference.com in 2016, we will be in Dallas, Atlanta, Houston, and Zambia where you can get more information about how to how to become a disciple maker and how to be a disciple making pastor. For more information on events and content, visit disciplefirst.com.